You're listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. If you brought your Bible with you, and I hope you did, you always should, uh, in one form or another, open back up to Matthew 13. We're going to pick up there again this week. We're talking about, in this chapter, uh, Jesus taught seven parables about the kingdom of God and how it works. I'm going to very briefly review in case somebody wasn't here last week, and then we're going to uh, carry on in this. So is everybody, y'all okay? Can We can get into the word here. Everybody ready for that? All right. I think we've all been sort of stumbling around here this morning, so... Uh, So Matthew 13, uh, we began with these first few verses. Verse 1, it says, That same day Jesus went out of the house, sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into the boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying a farmer went out to sow his seed. So again, he gives seven parables in a row. And I'm going to just kind of stick to my notes in the hope that this will go through this review a little bit quicker. But uh, the image here is of Jesus on the beach with this large crowd. He gets, ah, thank you, sir. You have to actually hit play for this to work. It's a nice sand dune, but, you know, here we go. Um, I hate sand. I've camped in sand as much as I ever want to camp in sand. I don't like riding in sand. Anyway, sand is a curse. Um, So, sorry, I'm thinking of stories, but we won't go there. Um, So, so Jesus got out into this boat. It did two things. It gave him a platform. It amplified his voice. It made him visible. The point is that he did everything. He's going to give these seven parables in a row about the kingdom and how it works. He's, he is trying to make the word of God completely available and as understandable and receivable as possible. He's trying to make sure that nobody goes out of there with the excuse, I couldn't hear him, I couldn't see him you know, whatever it was. He, he goes to great lengths here uh, to make the word understandable. And that's important because it speaks to the power and the authority and um, the relevance, the importance that Jesus put on the word of God. All right, so he did everything that he could do. He used parables, and we saw that that term parable, the English word's just a transliteration of the Greek compound word that means to put two things side by side or to throw one thing down beside the other. And so what a parable does is it takes something we're really familiar with, uh, an activity or, you know, in this case, the first one he tells is about a farmer going out and planting seeds. Well, everybody knew what that was like. Uh, He talks about, uh, weeds and and wheat growing up side by side. He talks about how fruit trees works. He talks about vines and branches. He talks about how it is to go out in a boat and throw a net out and catch fish. I mean, he uses all these images, and it was a very um, common form of teaching. It it still is. We still use images today. We we talk about baseball, you know, and uh, I, I do. I talk about baseball and football a lot. No, but Boyd does. And, uh, you know, we use all these different types of images. So 
It was because it was an effective method of teaching. It was because people were used to parables. The, the Jewish leaders talked in parables a lot. Uh, and it was primarily, again, and I know I keep emphasizing this, to make the word of God understandable so that people could really see and get what it is. And part of the reason he was doing that, and we brought this out last week, he was making it impossible, again, for his hearers to go away and say they, they misunderstood, couldn't hear him, whatever it was. This, the, the simplicity and the practicality of parables actually set the stage for judgment. And what I mean by that is he had people that came to hear him to hear him. And when he would use that phrase, and we'll see it over and over, when he'd use that phrase, if you have ears to hear, the person who has ears to hear, let him hear. All right, what that means, I think we all get it, is that, okay, I have the ability to hear. And, and then he says, then let them hear. And that word in the Greek means hear with the full intention of obeying and applying what is heard. That's a different kind of hearing than just hearing what they're saying. It's a different kind of hearing than just hearing to pass a test. You know, take some notes and, and I'm going to pass the test and then forget it. It's not that kind of hearing. Jesus is, he is laying things out in such a clear way that if people disagreed or if people uh, had, a, had a different opinion after they heard the truth and the word of God, then it was very clear where their hearts were. The fact that the word was so clear, was a, it drew a line. And it, it really set the stage. If, if, and people did. Later, they would criticize or argue or accuse Jesus of this or that. It was made plain in public. It would be obvious to anybody that they were willfully hard-hearted. And the Passion Translation uses that exact language when it uh, uses, when Jesus comes along, we looked at those verses uh, last week. Later in, in the chapter, he begins to quote from Isaiah and the Passion Translation translates it exactly that way, that people are either tender-hearted and receiving, or they are willfully hard-hearted. And the clarity that he delivered the word with made it unmistakable. It also forced the hearer, because the word was so easy to understand, it forced the hearer to make a choice. And the truth is that every time we hear the word of God, whether it's God speaking to us directly, whether it's from a teaching, uh, in your prayer time, in a worship time, wherever it is, uh, when the word of God is highlighted to us, we always have a choice to make. Are we going to adhere to that word? Are we going to treasure it? Are we going to put it in our hearts and nurture it and allow it to have its full work on the inside of us? Or are we going to do one of two things, neglect it, or reject it, all right? If we don't receive it, then we'll either, we might reject it, we might just neglect it. In the book of Proverbs, it says that those two, those two things, neglecting or rejecting the word of God, produce the exact same outcome, okay? We would think rejecting is worse. It might be speedier, I don't know, it might not. Neglecting is, it produces the same thing. It causes the word of God to have no effect in our life, which is a, just an almost unimaginable, when we know the power of the word, it's almost unimaginable to, to think that that's possible. Okay, so Jesus in, uh, in Mark's gospel, all right, verses 23 and 24, I'm going to read these to you. Um, 
Jesus says this, Mark brings this out this way. He says, if a man has ears to hear, let him be listening, let him perceive and comprehend. And he said to them, be careful what you are hearing. The measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you. And more besides will be given to you who hear. So there's a multiplication effect here, but Jesus puts it back on us, right? He says, the measure of thought and study you give to the word that you hear, that's what's going to determine the measure. We said this last week, there's, there's a real image about measure in a lot of what Jesus said about the container we bring to the place that we're going to hear, whether that's, again, here in church, your personal prayer time, or wherever it is. We can bring a really big container and put a big draw on the anointing on the person speaking or on the, uh, just on the Lord himself, which is you know, what we're doing anyway. We can, we can come with a heart that is a vacuum. I mean, it's just ready to draw on what God is doing and saying in that, in that time or that space. We can come and we can draw. We can have a big container. We can say, Lord, just pour in. I want everything that you have for me today. Or we can come with a little cup and get a little bit from God and say, okay, that's enough. You know, we hear one thing and then we turn it off or we, you know, whatever. We can come. We get to decide that. It's how, it's the attitude of heart. It's how we hear as much as what we hear. And he says, be careful what you're hearing. And the, and the idea there is, what are you coming with a big container to? Do you come to a sports event with a lot bigger container then you come to church or to a meeting or, or to your prayer time. Do you come to the news with a lot bigger container than you come to the word of God? He says it's, it's, that measure is your responsibility. And what you do with it afterwards is your responsibility, not his. The word is always alive. The word is always powerful. The word is full of the life of God. That's why he's going to describe it as seed being sown in the soil of our hearts. The seed is the same. The seed is always the same. The seed, the life, the, the word of God is always full of life and power. It has the ability to bring itself to pass. So the responsibility falls on our end. And he makes this clear as he tells, as he gives these parables. So a couple other things. We said this last week that parables bring the truth to the heart through engaging the imagination. All right. And by engaging, because there's a picture involved. And so it engages that part of us that God gave us for this purpose. Those inward eyes to be able to see ourselves in the in the outworking of his word, to be able to see ourselves, see the promise in our life and in our sphere or us living in the fulfillment of the promise of the word of what the Lord is talking to us about. He gave us an imagination for that purpose and, and, and that's all connected to the ideas of hope and vision. And there's a lot to say about that and I, I really thought that was the direction we were going to go today and it's not. So, We'll probably come back around to it sometime here, but I want to 
just have you realize that as we look at these parables, one of the things that is so powerful about them is that they engage our imagination. So let the word paint pictures on the inside of you. That's, that's why that canvas exists in your heart is for God to be able to speak and give you a completely different image of yourself, of him, of life, of all of those things. All right, and then we said that parables link something familiar, we already said this, something that we already understand, to something we don't yet understand. They act, you know, we understand how a seed going in the ground works. Now Jesus is going to teach us a big spiritual truth with that picture. Uh, they act as a doorway or a bridge to deeper spiritual understanding. I wanted to add this. I didn't bring this out last week. Vincent's uh, word studies in the Greek brings this out, that Jesus used a lot of his parables this is what we're going to talk about today. So get this, to demonstrate that there are laws that apply equally to both the spiritual and the natural world. There are laws from God that apply equally to both the spiritual and the natural world. That's what this parable, this first one that we're going to look at, of the word of God being sown into somebody's heart or a seed being sown into the ground, it's telling us there's a big principle behind that. A law that God established, we're going to see he established it at creation in the earth. Seeds will work like this. And my word is seed, right? You get that? You understand? And, and there are a bunch of those in the scripture we need to understand. To me, what that says is life works this way. God made it work this way. It didn't have to work this way. I guess. I mean, I don't know how it would work, but if there weren't seeds and places to sow seeds in this planet, all of the life, pretty much, you scientists can, I understand there are some things that come about other ways. Some things come up from roots and different things, but pretty much life comes out of seed that is sown. Human life comes out of seed being sown in the right place, at the right time, incubated, nurtured, and it comes forth. Our spiritual life works that way. And so this is just one of those examples. Here's what Vincent says about that. He says, these symbols, and he's talking about parables. He said these symbols like seed, soil, harvest, uh, the talents, you know, uh, mustard seed, fish, nets, etc. Et they demonstrate the existence of a law common to the natural and spiritual worlds, all right, under which the symbol and the thing symbolized work alike. They don't merely resemble the other, but they actually exist in coherence and harmony, meaning, again, this is how life will be produced, seed sown, whether it's in the earth or whether it's in our hearts, this is the way it works. And again, what that means to me when I look at these types of principles from the scripture, it means this is how life works. God designed it to work this way. I am going to, in every way that I can think of and that the Lord can show me, adhere, uh, um, adapt my life to that principle. Because God says it works this way, okay? So I'm going to think about, for example, the seeds that are coming out of my life. 
through my words, through my attitudes, through my actions, through my finances, through every way that I can think of that that works, I, I am going to think about what seed I'm sowing. I'm going to look at the harvests I'm reaping and sometimes have to go back and say, oh man, where did I sow that? Let's dig it up, God. You know, let's, let's, let's show me how to, to get rid of that. But I'm going to, I'm going to adapt my life to this principle, okay? And this is what he tells us. So let's, let's uh, go on over to Matthew, while you're there, Matthew 13. Let's look at verse 3, and let's dig into this a little bit. See how far we get to this with this. We'll just read through this first parable, but we're, we're not really going to study the parable this morning, but I want us to have it in mind. It begins in verse 3. It says, Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched. They withered because they had no root. Other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop. 160 or 30 times what was sown. Again, he makes a statement, he who has ears to hear let him hear. So this was the first parable that he gave this day. This was, he, he it started out with talking to us about the principle of seed time and harvest. And he gives this parable and then later his disciples ask him what it means. And Luke doesn't bring this out, but Mark in his gospel brings out that when they came and said, tell us what the parable of the sower, what does that, what does that mean, Jesus? He said to them, don't you understand this parable? This is Mark 4.13. Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? All right, so what he's saying there is this parable, the truth that's contained in this parable, seed time and harvest, is foundational to receiving anything and everything that God's going to teach you. Anything that the Lord's going to say it's foundational for you to get the truth that's in this parable. And when we look at it, there are three primary elements, right? There's the sower. We call this parable the parable of the sower or the parable of the sower sows the seed or something. We usually say the parable of the sower. It's really not the parable of the sower. I don't know why we call it that. But anyway, there is the, the sower, the person who plants, right? And that is the Lord. That is Jesus, then there is the seed, okay? Notice, and then there is the soil. Those three elements are primary in this. The parable is about the soil, much more so than the, than the sower or the seed. The sower never changes. The sower is always God throughout this whole parable. The seed never changes. The seed is the word of God, which is established. It doesn't change. It doesn't come in different uh, strengths. It's the word of God. It's eternal, all right? And, and it'll produce all kinds of things, but those two elements in this parable never change. The third one, the soil, is dynamic. It's the one, it's the focus of the parable, the which the soil is the condition of our heart, the condition of the heart of the person hearing the word, receiving the seed, okay? 
And, and so this whole parable is about these different conditions that our heart can be in. And I think we all have all of these different conditions that Jesus speaks of here. We're going to study them another week, but, but we can have all of these different conditions going on on the inside of us at once. We want to be the good soil. We want to produce the big harvest, you know, and, and, I, and I also think it's a progression that the Lord brings us through in different areas of our lives. You know, we, we come from hardness of heart to, to shallow, semi-receptive soil to places where our heart is so choked that the word just can't bring anything forth to places where we are good soil that's ready to receive and nurture that word. But the, the point is that what's really on, you know, we have to ask ourselves is how available, how open, how uncluttered is my heart toward God and toward what he says and what he presents to me, okay? And if, if you know, the sower doesn't change, the seed doesn't change, if I have some area in my heart, some belief, some worldview, some could be a misunderstanding, but if, or some place that I just don't want to let God into, if, if I've got hardness in places in my heart, if I've got any of those things going on, guess which one of the three needs to change? The sower is not going to change, and he's not going to give up on you. He's not going to give up on me. Thank God. He's going to keep sowing and watering the seed that he puts into your life. We can, we can walk away for a time in our life, and he doesn't. It's, it was so amazing. I used to do that up and down thing, you know, uh, when I was first saved for a couple of years. I'd you know, I'd, I'd get closer to God and be in the word and stuff. And, and then I'd kind of drift and just be back in my old habits and this and that. And when I'd repent, when I'd turn around, it was always amazing. I mean, I'd pray this, a prayer in my heart and I, you know, I'd, I'd just repent and I'd say, Lord, I'm so sorry. And I'd, I'd turn around and I'd bump right into God. He wasn't back three months where I'd left him. He was right there and he'd continued to pursue and to sow and you know, the sower's not going to change. And the seed's not going to change. The word's not going to change because we don't like it. The word's not going to change because culture has a different opinion. It's not going to change. It's going to be here. It's going to be here. When all of this is gone, the word will be the same. So it makes sense to me for me to adapt myself to it instead of waiting. God, give me different seed. I don't like that seed. Ain't going to happen. It's just not going to happen. So this principle is so foundational, seed time and harvest. All right, and I'm probably, we're not going to have time to go through all the verses I have here, but I'm going to try and at least give you the references. It is so foundational that God used this principle, seed time and harvest, coupled with the principle that we call first fruits, meaning you give the first part of something to the Lord, it brings the whole to God. It brings the entire, that's, that's the principle behind the tithe. We bring the first 10% to the Lord. It says, everything I have is yours and everything we have comes under his blessing. We give the first part of our day to God. We say, Lord, this is your day. I am yours today. It brings the whole day to him. It's a representative principle. God used these two principles to bring about our salvation. He 
he, Jesus is said to be the first begotten from among the dead. Jesus was raised from the dead first as the first fruits of our salvation, guaranteeing that the rest of us will be raised from the dead too. Guaranteeing resurrection to the whole batch of people who believe in him. He was the first fruits. He was the first raised from the dead. And because of that, because he was the first the firstborn, the first begotten, the first son, the first raised from the dead, because of that principle, our resurrection is guaranteed. All right? Secondly, Jesus was sown, planted in humanity. He became like us. Uh, look at this with me, if you can, over in John chapter 12, verse 23, John chapter 12. I'm just going to read it from the NIV um, they're all good on this one. This is, a, this is a powerful passage. Jesus himself speaking here. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 23. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That term glorified in this case, it means for what? For the, the real essence of who he is. To be birthed, to come forth, to be shown. All right? He says, I tell you the truth. This is how he puts it. Unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Jesus says, the time has come for me to be glorified. How's that going to happen? A kernel of wheat is going to fall into the earth and die. And then it's going to produce this multiplied harvest, which is you and me. All of us, all the people who have believed on him down through history, it's because of the principle of seed time and harvest. God actually planted his son in humanity and on our behalf and the life that came out, the resurrection life that came back belongs to all of us. Why? Because the principle says in the earth, every seed will bring forth only after its own kind. All right, we're going to look at those verses in just a second. Every seed, you can't plant an apple seed and get a peach tree. It doesn't work. Every seed only brings forth its own kind. Jesus being planted into the earth brought forth all these Christians. You know, the word Christian means little Christ. All these Christ-like ones were all the result of this planting right here. This is, uh, the only reason I'm telling you all of this is because it's so important that when we see this, when we go to this parable in a couple of weeks and we start to look at the word being sown, in our, we need to understand how God views these principles. These principles, sowing the seed into your heart, receiving the seed of God's word into your heart, nurturing it, knowing it will change me. It will produce what is on the inside of it. If it's a healing seed, it's going to produce healing in me, and it's going to produce the fruit of healing that I can give away to other people. Oh, the, I, I love these principles. They're, but they're so powerful. So the characteristics and the boundaries, okay? Every one of these principles, seed time and harvest, it has characteristics, and it has boundaries. I can't make a car by planting a car seed. That doesn't work. That'd be cool. Can't do that. Okay? 
It has boundaries, all right? It does certain things. Principles from God do certain things. And we need to apply them in that area and in that way that he designed them to work, okay? So the characteristics and the boundaries of the law of seed time and harvest, they're laid out in a law that we and that theologians call the law of Genesis, okay? It's the foundation behind seed time and harvest. So let's look at that. Are you still with me? Okay, so Genesis chapter 1. And I hope you have your own Bible. It'd really be good if you looked at these verses with me. Genesis chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. We're going to look at several verses here. In fact, while you go there, let me read a different verse to you. Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. Now, you all know that the word Genesis means origins, right? There are foundational principles all through the book of Genesis. Genesis 8, verse 22 says... As long as the earth endures. So, is the earth still here? Okay. So, this still works. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. All right? So, seed time and harvest still works. It still works exactly. There might be something else. After the earth doesn't endure anymore, might be something else. But right now, this works. So back in Genesis chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, this is during creation, okay? So God is establishing the way the earth works. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it. Okay, so there's seed that produces fruit through a process the fruit contains more seed that will produce more fruit, okay? So that will bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds, all right? So the seed is going to produce fruit, but it's going to be the kind of fruit that's appropriate to the seed, all right? That's real important when we start receiving the word of God, you know? Um, verses on Healing are, that's a bad example. I was going to say are not going to produce forgiveness. Verses on physical healing, okay, are not going to produce a greater ability in me to forgive. But verses that communicate God's forgiveness of me totally undeserved through the blood of Jesus and God's love for me, can transform my heart to where I forgive others in a way that I could never do. It's his seed growing out of me. The fruit is my forgiveness of somebody else. And my forgiveness of somebody else that is fruit also contains seed that can change their life and cause them to forgive somebody in their life. Because every seed will produce fruit that contains more seed. You know, you look at an apple and there's several seeds on the inside of there. It's, it, seed time and harvest is always a multiplication principle. Okay, there's, there's more that comes back. One Jesus gets sown into the earth, millions of Christians grow out of that one, that one act, right? You, you take an apple, there's usually, there's a bunch, you know, all things being equal. I know we've got hybrids and weird stuff these days, and you know what I'm saying. There's a bunch of seeds in there. Each one of those has the ability to produce another tree that can produce 
I don't know how many, thousands probably over its lifetime of apples, each containing more seeds. But they're all going to be apples. Every one of those seeds is only going to produce apples. So whether we are sowing or whether we are receiving, we need to be sure that we are receiving the appropriate thing, that we're expecting the appropriate harvest, and, and that we're focusing on what it is that we're seeing. So, so this is what theologians call the law of Genesis. The trees, uh, there will be seed-bearing plants and trees. They'll produce fruit. The fruit will have seed in it according to its various kinds. And it says it was so. Sure enough, God said it. Gee, it happened. Uh, the land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. So this is a good principle, all right? So God establishes this principle in the very beginning uh, in the natural world so that we can see it and we can understand it and we can apply it in a spiritual sense, all right? So here it is again. On earth, this is the law of Genesis. Every seed will produce itself in multiplied form, okay? So there's multiplication when seed is sown. When I plant a seed, for better or worse, I need to anticipate a multiplied harvest of whatever I planted. Jesus later, and I'll just try and give you these references. Jesus tells us, if you're judgmental, these are my words, his thought, if you're judgmental, you're going to reap judgment. If you're merciful, you're going to reap mercy, all right? If you love people, you're going to reap love. If you show yourself friendly, you're going to have friends, right? If I'm hateful, I'm going to receive hate. If I give generously, it's going to come back multiplied from, with generosity from people and places. I'm going to find generosity pouring into my heart. If I give, I'm still giving, but I give grudgingly then the harvest is going to come back grudgingly into my life. The heart attitude for us when we give, whether it's words or whether it's dollars or whether it's attitude, what puts the life in the seed is the attitude of our heart for better or for worse. So, so we need to think about what kind of seed am I sowing in my life? What am I putting out there? Okay, because it will come back multiplied and it will come back according to its own kind. Second part of that law, every seed will only produce after its own kind. Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be deceived and deluded and misled. God will not allow himself to be sneered at, guess this is the amplified, to be sneered at, scorned, disdained, or mocked by mere pretensions or professions or by his precepts being set aside. He inevitably deludes himself who attempts to delude God. Here it is. For whatever a man sows, that and that only will he reap. So let me say this because I am out of time, just about. We need to be aware of what we're sowing. We need to be aware of what we are allowing to be sown into our hearts, because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth is going to speak, okay? 
And those words go forth like seeds. I've got several verses in Proverbs that I can show you that from. Those words that we speak, they carry something in them. They carry love. They carry hatred. They carry anger. They carry peace. They carry whatever is in our heart to carry. So we need to be aware and we need to look at the world around us. We need to look at our friends. We need to look at what influences and environments we're putting ourselves in because when people are constantly sowing stuff that's either godly or ungodly into your heart, it will build up and it will come out and it will be seed and it will produce fruit and it will also affect other people because the fruit of our life carries the seed that the fruit came from and it will affect other people. It will affect future generations. This is a big deal about how we're living our lives. And I'll just, just to make this practical right now, there's tons of pressure right now to put fear in your heart about this stupid virus that does not have authority to come into your life as a believer. Read Psalm 91. And I'm not saying be stupid, but we should not be the people out there spreading fear. We should not be out there. We should not let God has not given you a spirit of fear. If it's carrying, if it's a fear seed, it's not from God. So don't let it in your heart. You can pray over your life. If God says, don't go here right now, then don't go there right now. But don't go there in peace. Instead of, I'm not going there out of fear. You get it? This is, this is a big deal right now. There are people trying to put that in honestly. Barb said this this morning. I thought it was brilliant. What this thing has done, it, it, hasn't, it has sown fear into people, but probably even more, it has revealed what's already in the heart. People that immediately jump into fear and hoarding and all that. I'm not being critical. This is just an observation, okay? If that's where you jumped... Maybe you need to jump back because those things are not of God. Where'd that seed come from? How come I was so ready to embrace fear about this? So what do I do? I need to go to the Lord. I need to get that thing out of my heart and I need to go back and I need to plant the seed of trust in him for his protection and realize Psalm 91 says, we're going to be spectators in bad situations. And I believe that also means helpers in those bad situations, not the ones participating in. That's a promise from God. Sow it into your heart. Let it have time to grow. Let it put down roots. I'm out of time and I didn't even give you any of the. Here, for some of you who want to write these down, I promise I'm not even going to read them, okay? We'll come back to them. We have other weeks. Just write these verses down. You can probably look them up, okay? Seed time and harvest applies to attitudes, actions, and words. Luke 6, 37 and 38. Proverbs 12, 14, Proverbs 13, 2 and 3, Matthew 12, 33 through 35. Those are all fabulous verses. All right. Anybody, everybody okay? It's all right. I'll wait. That's why I asked. It's fine. We'll all wait for you, Perry. <laughs> oh, what a smart Alec. Okay. Proverbs 11. This is about the fact that it applies to our finances. The same principle. The Bible applies it to our finances. Proverbs 11, 24, and 25. 
2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11. All those verses, you hear them regularly, I'm sure, during our offering time. They all apply this same big principle to the way that we live, the way that we live our giving life, okay? So we make, I don't know what we'll do. We'll be, I'm out of town, or no, I'm back in town. I'm somewhere next week, Annie's teaching, but uh, yeah, we are here. But anyway, um, we'll come back probably to a lot of these because they're really, really important. Did you get anything out of this today? Let's stand up and pray together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Lord, I just pray for all of us that, Father, we, we learn, we grow in our ability to open, to, to come to you at all times with a big measure, to receive the seeds, the words that you want to speak right now in this season into our lives, Lord, that through our whole life, we come to you with a huge basket every day to receive what you're saying to us. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to pray, or to, sorry, I'm praying, uh, that you would watch over and nurture and water the seeds that are in our hearts. And Father, I know everybody here, Father, desires to produce great fruit for you in this life and that that fruit would feed others and bring others to Christ. So Lord, we just give ourselves to this entire seed time and harvest process. And I just pray, Father, for us as a people, Lord, that we continually feed on you, strengthen ourselves in you, produce good fruit. Watch, give us a watch, Lord. Set it over our thoughts, over our hearts, over our words. In every situation, Lord, we want to go out and sow the life of God into others. So we thank you for this whole principle and we ask you to continue to work it deep in us and make it clear to us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to say this on the count of three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. We're going to be dismissed today. And I do believe that you guys go out of here as the church of Jesus Christ into this community, into every place that you go, you carry his light and his life. And, and we just, I just pray that you would go out there and just be the church of Jesus Christ. And if anybody needs personal prayer, there'll be a couple of us up here to pray for you after service. And then remember, if you're in children's church ministry, uh, come on back in a few minutes. We'll have a meeting. All right. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.